Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Mr. Neetsun Ziv, who is the co-founder and CEO of Ox Security. And we're going to be talking to Neetsun about how organizations can prevent or stop attacks across their software supply chain. Uh, but before we do that, I want to say hi to Neetsun. Neetsun, how are you today? Hi, pleasure meeting you. Likewise. Where about you located? So I'm located in Tel Aviv, Israel, uh, mm -hmm. just in the center of Tel Aviv, where all the high-tech community is right now. Yeah, you have a pretty amazing um, tech kind of ecosystem over there, and particularly in the context of security. Um, is there is that for historical reasons, just because, you know, Israel needs to be, uh, I guess, uh, protective and, you know, kind of aware? Or is there some other reasons why that, you know, you've had such so many um, security but startups and mature organizations in Israel? Uh, well, I think it's a great question. I don't have a formal answer. I'll give you my theory about it. So mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of uh, units in the army. And as you know, in Israel, the army is mandatory service from age of 18. And as we get to the age of 18, you need to do a few things. Some of them are cyber related or IT related. And since the mentality in the army is you need to do things fast, you need to grow, you need to evolve. And the way to evolve uh, in the army is actually gain responsibility and solve problems. It creates a culture that then keeps on to the university and creates a culture uh, of innovation and uh, of grit. So it creates a lot of uh, different startups in, within Israel. And I think that cyber specifically, since we've got so many great uh, companies uh, in cyber, it creates a second, third generation. I personally came from Checkpoint in 10, 10, from 10 years. Um, so that's a, a really, really great hub for uh, technology innovation and cybersecurity specifically. That, that all makes sense to me. I like that innovation and grit. It's it's amazing. I've, I've lived overseas uh, for 20 plus years in a variety of countries and the the culture is so important uh, it, it, and sometimes it's uh, kind of overlooked, but in terms of the business decisions and how how businesses evolve, um, and you know you can con contrast places like Silicon Valley in the U.S. You can even contrast it against other states, but let's just go from Silicon Valley and then go to a place um, like Japan that typically is more you know businesses care a lot about long-term planning, mitigating risk, and things like that. Um, and if you want to foster a startup environment, you you got you have to be willing to accept risk. One of the things I didn't hear you mention was was funding. I'm just curious in terms of the in the context of startups in Israel, um, is 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 the funding is it grassroots, local, or is it international? Uh, you know, VCs that are that are looking for opportunities regardless of where they are. Uh, so I would say it's both. Uh, we've got great Israeli um, security VCs. Uh, we are we've started with uh, Teammate, um, which is I think the best cybersecurity uh, VC in uh, in Israel. And you would find that there are um, specialized uh, VCs in Israel that actually specialized, for example, in cyber. I think that there are three uh, famous ones. Um, and it allows you to take the entire VC and say, 
we want to help the founders in getting started to get the first connections to get the first calls in to get the right people in so instead of working with a generalized vc in for the seed round uh, you start with somebody that has already the previous experience with that that they've done a few tens of companies just in, in cyber and it creates a great great uh, entry point into the um, cybersecurity uh, arena itself. As for funding from um, other countries, uh, we've got here a lot of um, funds that are outside of uh, Israel. They've got a local branch or that are investing from abroad. We uh, are honored to be an investment both from Microsoft uh, VC and from Evolution Equity, which are simply amazing. Uh, so really, the funds are coming from everywhere, local and abroad. No, that that's awesome that you have uh, both domestic and international uh, partners to work with because it can open up doors, like you said, in a variety of markets and a lot of places. Um, one more question on the on the kind of funding VC ecosystem side, um, and then we'll jump over to you know the uh, the, the the main topic. When you're out, you know, based upon your experience, when you're pitching to VCs, uh, does it help that they have, and I'm just talking about the pitch process for, let's just say, you know, uh, seed funding, does it help that they have a cybersecurity kind of focus? Um, because I've been told that, you know, in the for initial seed funding, they're not going to go too deep into the technology. They just want to see, does the, does the business make sense? Now, that's everybody has a different kind of spin on that. But when you're working with, you know, you mentioned three different VCs that have um, a, a strong focus on cyber. Does does do they get into the technology in that initial discussions? Well, I think that uh, at least for our case, um, we've got a very very strong team uh, doing the technology. So for us, it, it was never the challenge uh, the technology side. I think that the challenge is getting to market having the right discussion understanding the positioning and i think that if you have this discussion with somebody that is more uh with a generalist uh, nature then you need to have a lot of context in each discussion um the amazing team that we've got in our board they all were operators uh in their past so the discussion is very easy for us so if we're talking about going to market and meeting customers and what is the language and what is the discussion, what is the pain point, it resonates with them as they've been exactly in those places. So it creates a very fast discussion uh, versus explaining the details on every component uh, as we go along. Again, makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's get into <clears throat> the uh, how, how you know important or relevant uh, attacks across the software supply chain are what that what that actually means and then you know what are some of the methods processes and tools that companies can prevent them first off maybe i mean just let's just do a level set what is the software supply chain okay so um imagine that you want to build a software you are a company that generates um, money from software it might be online it might be banking it might be just uh, any startup that creates um, its own software SaaS service and so on so everybody that creates software, they've got a way to build that software. It starts with a developer coding its code, pushing it to some kind of a Git uh, repository where they store the code. And then you need to take this magic that developer just created, 
build it and somehow get it to the cloud to run it. Now the entire process with all of the tools and all of the process, this is called the software supply chain. From the moment that you start designing it up until the moment that it is in production, uh, doing whatever the software is supposed to do. Now, the software supply chain, if I'll take a few examples, in larger companies becomes very complex. It might be hundreds and thousands, and in some cases, tens of thousands of developers doing different products, shooting the code to different clouds or on-prem deployment, and it gets super complicated. Now, software supply chain security is when somebody would attack the way that you build your software. Now, why is it super interesting, this method of attack, and why did it get to be um, in the news, or it gets to the news every week? The reason it is that if I'm able to penetrate your code, your way of building your software, you're then taking your code and distributing them to your customers. So if I'm able to inject a backdoor through your code, um, so it means that your code now carries my backdoor to your customers. And if you've got 10,000 customers, as an attacker, I attacked once and I distributed it to 10,000 different customers. What it means is that this is a super, super lucrative attack because you invest a lot of time and effort once, but then you get a very, very good uh, spot out of it. So this became a super, super interesting attack vectors uh, for a lot of bad guys to start and, and look at and say, can I do this kind of an attack, invest more, but gain way, way more if I'm successful. And there are great um, articles uh, and details on how to do this. So in order to understand the ecosystem, what we've done is we have researched uh, a lot of those software supply chain attacks that happened over the past, uh, per se, since 2017, uh, since the uh, NotPetya case. And we tried to map all the attack metrics uh, that you would see out there, the techniques, the tactics, and the procedures that bad guys are actually using right now in order to get the software su supply chain compromised. Now, it might be starting with reconnaissance and then looking for the initial access, developing the resources, creating persistence within the build environment, and then creating damages and exfiltrating data, just like we've seen with um, Circle CI just a few weeks ago. Now, this software supply chain is super complicated because it is built from a few good tens of vendors in most cases. It has so many different people pushing in code and artifacts. It, it is comprised out of open source, and it's very, very easy to, to make mistakes over there. And, and this is one of the reasons that we created the OSCAR framework to allow everybody to assess whether their software supply chain um, is actually uh, something that is uh, exploitable or what are the risks that they should be worried about. And we placed it on GitHub uh, under the name OSCAR and under site pbom.dev, pbom.dev. It's completely free uh, public, um, uh, public knowledge that we, we've placed over there. And we've been working on this with about 20 different companies that have contributed and are contributing. And we're inviting everybody to join this community. It is for the community, by the community. That was a, um, an, an excellent 
a kind of uh, introduction to to the uh, software supply chain and uh, many of the problems. I'm kind of <clears throat> overwhelmed though with, you know, if if you think about a large uh, dev project, and you might have, like you said, hundreds if not thousands of de developers working on various aspects of the project. They could be in many different locations. They might have different security standards at each location. And I'm just like, what can you do? I mean, what are the what are the do you do? You look for the most uh, potentially most dangerous vectors first. Try to shut them down. I mean, how do you get started on something like this? So imagine a map. So I'll draw a map of your organization, and this map already describes all the places that people ahead of you in the curve already had issues within them. And as you do this, you can actually look on them and say, oh, here is something that happened to a lot of people before me. If I'll do this, this, and this, then maybe I can close this, uh, this uh, exposure in a very fast way. Now, imagine that the landscape for this is getting larger every year. So every year, there are new attack methods, there are new kinds of issues. So we're gathering everything to a single place. And if you look through the Oscar uh, filter or framework, I would say, on your organization, you'd see exactly where you have the maximum exposure. Now, exposure doesn't mean that you are going to get hit. It is just means it just means that if this exposure is exposed to the internet, your probability goes up um, to to get uh, exploited. It's a, a purely statistic uh, issue. If you've got an exposure, it's a matter of time until somebody discovers it and abuses it. And what we're trying to say is, if you take the Oscar framework, you have a great indication where you should focus your efforts first to make sure that the most vulnerable and probable cases will be eliminated first. I hope it makes okay. sense. That totally makes sense. Um, now, going through this process, is is it there? Is there any element of automation or scanning of of what, you know, the code that we've already um, developed or written, um, or is it is this just a, like a checklist kind of um, okay? What do we have? Um, where's it at? And then kind of a, a heuristic tool to let me see probably you know the vulnerabilities that I may want to prioritize, or vectors that I may want to take a look at. So it's a great question, and I'll, I'll split it into two different sections. The Oscar framework itself. It's a framework, it's open, it's uh, free for everybody, uh, and that is for everybody to use. That's a community uh, thing that we are contributing because we think that we need to create the awareness and understanding outside of Ox itself. Uh, Ox, on the other hand, is a commercial-grade company that deals with, with this field and have created uh, a solution that allows you to take the Oscar framework and actually uh, tilt it on your organization, understand where your exposures, how to get them fixed, automate the fix, and actually work with the application security teams and security architects to make this happen and to make sure that we prevent the next uh, attack vectors on your software supply chain. So we're really separating them to one a community and knowledge play, and the other is a commercial grade tool um, that uh, we are um, I think that you've got right now a few good tens of customers uh, worldwide. Great. 
And I mean, if you're using the framework, though, um, at some point, is that is that is that enough, or eventually you're gonna? I mean, I, does it matter? Like, do you, when you hit a certain size, or like when do you start to look for a tool to help you kind of deploy or use the framework? Uh, it's a great question. I think that the framework by itself is a way to focus the thinking process. Um, it will help you just understand where you should focus your efforts. And what is currently very common is that people start with just buying tools. And as they buy the tools, they see a certain amount of exposures, but they have no idea if these are the important ones, are those covering all my software supply chain. And it is very common today simply buying a few tools and trying to create from the findings and understanding on the view of your software supply chain. The framework itself is trying to do something completely different, which is creating, first of all, the understanding on the entire landscape, and then be able to get in tools uh, or use Ox to do the entire understanding of the details themselves. So we, we really distinguish between, between those cases. Now, for a small organization, they usually take one solution and that should cover them. Either they choose something to cover one silo or they're taking OX to do a broad uh, coverage so they'll have a full coverage on their entire software supply chain. And as we move to larger organization, we see that there is a, a thought process that starts with understanding the landscape, mapping them, having internal discussions, alignment on what are the right uh, framework tools that they want like to do, how would they like to um, focus their efforts in the coming quarter or year, and what are the tools that they need to do that? In those cases, by the way, Ox simply helps them automate, see the process, help them with the triage of the actual finding so they won't get lost in a sea of uh, findings. And it is very common that when they run existing tools, they might get tens of thousands of uh, issues. And we're just trying to tell them, look, those issues are already in place that you are secure. Those issues are with high exposure. Let's focus on the 1% that can actually make a difference in uh, securing your organization versus a lot of noise that is already something that you've got to compensate and control that might be a second priority. And just getting to the right places so the immediate and known exposures will not be exploited. Excellent. I, I want to get into some actual use cases of you know the the Ox. Uh, tools or platform. Uh, but before that, just to kind of, I guess, muddy the waters even more, where where does the the software bill of materials or SBOM, where does that fit into this whole discussion? Oh, you certainly uh, made a discussion uh, even more complicated. So the SBOM or software bill of material is a standard that uh, formalizes how vendors of software will be able to provide uh, a list of all of their uh, open source components being used. Now, the SBOM itself, think about it as an Excel spreadsheet with four columns saying open source name, version, license, and are the known vulnerabilities. That's the SBOM. It, it sounds very scary, but it's actually very, very simple. Now, SBOM is just a way to create visibility on one single um, attack vector 
own organization. The challenge is if you take, for example, SBOM and you ask yourself how many of the attack vectors or atta actual attacks that happened over the past three years would have been prevented using SBOM, you'd probably figure out that it is one or two percent out of all of the cases can actually be dealt with using SBOM. So the challenge with SBOM is that it covers a very, very small percentage, or the SBOM itself, I would say, was designed to shed light on one specific attack vector that was used a few times. But it is one out of 100 different attack vectors, and it creates um, some coverage, but far from being enough uh, to say this covers the software supply chain security. So in order to combat this, what we uh, created as well is a resource that we call PBOM Pipeline Build Material that records everything that you build as part of your pipeline itself. And this allows you to capture every exposure that you have from the JIRA ticket to the source control, to the build process, to uh, operating the cloud assets themselves. And it allows you to get to the point that everything that it has to do with the software is actually embedded uh, into the PBOM, which is way more complex and way more, um, I would say, comprehensive. But what it allows you to get to is a Boolean answer saying, is it good enough for consumption, yes or no, instead of a list. Uh, I would say that the analogy would be, if you go to a restaurant and you see a score of A, B, or C, you know exactly what action you should take. But if you would see a very, very long list that might have a thousand ingredients saying those are the ingredients and those are the dates that we bought them and this is the amounts that we use, then you'd have to do the math of whether it's safe to eat at that place by yourself. And I think that right now it's, it's super confusing for people to actually understand how to consume it. So we're trying to simplify it and create a, a new direction. Again, uh, your examples make a, a lot of sense. Um, so if we if let's go back to now to to what Ox does, you know, you're you're I'm, I'm looking at your website and there's you know, there's a lot of different talk about uh, CI, CD, security posture, uh, production integrity, single sources of truth, asset and risk visibility. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming these are all different components of what your platform or different things that it can do. Um, what? Let's just start from the beginning. Like, what do you think are the two or three most critical features, functions, tools that uh, uh, a platform such as Ox Security should provide? So I would probably say number one, even though it's the last one, number one, is to be able to actually prevent the software supply chain from being compromised. That's number one for us in a platform to be able to prevent the bad things from happening. Now, nobody starts day one with prevention. They start with understanding their exposure before they move and, and draw action. So they need to get comfortable with this. In order to do that, they need to be able to create visibility on their entire organization, highlight the finding, contextualize them so you'll be able to have a discussion which is um, in the level of what are the exposures, what are the risks, what are the resources that we need to have, and how do we get from the current state to a secure state. So that's actually the first step that everybody takes, just understanding what's in their ecosystem, 
um, and, and just getting a sense of what is the, the recommended direction. And from then they're trying to take actions. The number two between number two between the um, the visibility and the prevention is the context. Now the context itself is an analogy would be I would come to you and say, look, you've got a, a problem with your car. So a problem with my car can be that the engine um, is getting too much smoke, or that somebody hit me, or that I don't know what is happening with the car, but it might be a lot of things. And, and what we're trying to say is we're trying to pinpoint and say, look, you're having a problem right now that looks in this way. And in order to fix it, you need to do X, Y, Z. And we know this for sure because of these parameters. Now, the challenge is that the security teams themselves, they're not able to fix a lot of the problems themselves. They need to get buy-in from engineering organizations. And if you provide to engineering organization just a general statement, there is something wrong with my car, then it is very hard for them to actually invest the time to just understand what's going on, why is it important, what is the problem. And it is a lot of time treated as um, false positives or not interesting, or we don't have the time to fix it. And when you come with something very concrete saying, we understand that you don't have enough fluid in, in your uh, brakes and you need to fix it now, um, people react to it in a different ways, saying, oh, I understand what is wrong, I understand why it is important, I understand what is the damage, and I understand why I need to take action now. And, and this is where we help in with the, the security teams with actually understanding why things are important in the context of their organization, in the context of who are the people that can fix the problem and why should they do that and what is exposed to the internet. And then the flow between understanding the visibility contextualizing things and preventing them makes a perfect uh, flow. Uh, so you can actually focus on the right things and, and just address the things that can actually be solved with a very, very uh, specific way. Okay, so if, if I'm hearing you correctly, basically you need to have some type of awareness of, of, of what you have, okay? Or, you know, what you're, what you're um, trying to protect. And then when you get that information, of all these different, you know, whether it's data, code, assets, any, any, I, then you need to have some kind of tool that will help you prioritize um, and make decisions uh, on how how to follow up. Because if you just if you're just overwhelmed with data, uh, you're really not in any better position you were the, without even having the data. Exactly, you will not be able to drive action with a list of ten thousand findings. It it is simply impossible. Okay, so can you can you walk me through um, a, a use case or two of of from one of your customers? And obviously, it's it can be anonymous, but just give an example of you know how you've been able to help them. And, I, and I'm talking like from you know the dashboard view. What what did it look like? And what did you what did they, what did they find? And how were they able to respond? Um, so I'll give an example from uh, earlier this month. So uh, we got a call from uh, a CISO that we've been working with for I think for two or three quarters now. And he said, look, I want to tell you something super interesting that just happened today. Uh, we got the pen test result 
penetration testing results that um, we hired somebody to do. Uh, they found a super critical uh, issue in our system. And it was uh, Thursday night in Israel. We try not to work Friday, we work Sunday to Thursday. And um, he told me that uh, he got uh, all the approvals from his managers to call engineering, say this needs to be fixed over the weekend. It is super critical. And as he was calling the engineering manager, uh, he said, yes, we already uh, got notification on this yesterday. The teams are already working on it. Uh, a release will be within an hour. Um, and that actually saved them from working the entire weekend on fixing this. And of course, that was the trigger to for them to move from detection or alerting to actual prevention, that they were able actually to see that uh, when they're doing something wrong, they get identification. It was super, super accurate, pinpointing exactly the interesting uh, places within the system. Instead of overwhelming them with long lists, it was just a very focused alert on one specific thing. And um, from that moment on, they said, look, we just uh, moved it to prevention. And um, it uh, saved a lot, of, uh, a lot of hours during the weekend for people, which is, um, I think, one of the greatest achievements that uh, we can help, that we can actually help people do their job right uh, and without um, causing them to lose the work-life balance. Yeah, anytime you can give somebody the weekend back, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious, was this, uh, is the process something that's always running and on kind of auto, or is this something that you have to kind of manually, you know, tee up and then and run it at different times? Uh, so these alerts that'll come in, is it is it you know real time, or is it something that I or the the operator would have to to run and be looking for something specific? So it's completely automatic. You don't need to do anything at all. Uh, it directly communicates with the right developer. It can block the pipeline from reaching production, uh, such in, in the, that case uh, that this is the way that should have been done. Um, and, and it creates the way that um, you've got somebody helping you so you won't have exposure um, as somebody that builds the code itself. Uh, I had the experience of actually being on the other end that um, a system that we had uh, got a, a major security incident. And I must say that the feeling as you go through a security incident, uh, that's really a turmoil. Um, you, you get all the seven um, stages of grief in uh, five minutes and um, you need to react, react fast to it. And it's not something that uh, I wish anybody will go through. No. Um, well, it sounds sounds like you know your your uh, your your tools helping people um, in that context. But let's uh, talk a little bit more about it. In terms of you know if we've got developers working from multiple locations, um, maybe using different repositories, uh, how does how does the tool cover all that? So uh, first of all, where do developers work? Uh, it is meaningless. Um, everybody connects to the working from home, working some from the office, working from abroad. It, it, it doesn't have any meaning. Um, the meaning is actually when you're trying to get your code into the code repository. So when you push your code or ask somebody to pull it, at that stage, your code becomes part of the organization asset. And this is usually derived into the production. So at that stage, we want to intervene way before you inject your code uh, into the public 
or the organizational repository, and at that stage, do the first intervention. As you're doing this in first intervention, you're able to block it, and it, it is, has nothing to do with where the location is or the amount of repositories or the amount of source control uh, solutions that you have. We're able to connect to all of the environment that you've got inside your organization, whether it's on-prem or cloud, it doesn't matter. We're able to connect to a lot of different source control management. I think right now it's about six or seven different vendors just on the source control. <clears throat> and what it allows you to do is to get notifications um, on everything that is happening, intercept them in time, react in time, and actually drive the prevention and also the visibility and context. Now, this all, all the time is being correlated to the Oscar framework that we talked about, so you can actually understand what is important and why in this organization's context we can actually drive an action and what is the context. Awesome. So just a couple more questions here. The I would look at the Oscar framework as, as more of a kind of a, a strategy um that helps a company guide its kind of strategy gives you a framework but if we talked about very specific tactics for any organization that's um developing the code uh, what what are like two or three like definite these are the things that you should be doing um so i'll, I'll give you a few examples um one interesting technique that uh, is, is very commonly used right now is a technique called typo squatting. Typo, like you've done a typo, and squatting is like uh, entering somebody's home when he's not there. So typo squatting would say, let's say that um, you've got your own domain uh, for the podcast, and somebody would register a domain, very similar name. It's just one mistake that people might do. For example, instead of writing serverless with double S, write it with a single S. And there are a lot of different variations that somebody can actually uh, fall into. So if you would um, have this mistake by just writing, I want to use this domain, or in developer's case, I want to use this specific package or open source, and you would do a simple mistake, you would take code that is not the original code that you intended, it will be a malicious code that I can control as an attacker. Now, it means that you're right now building as part of your code something that I can control and I can do with it amazing things. I think one of the um, nicest things that we've seen um, in hijacking or actually tempering with the open source repository is a certain crypto wallet used in open source. And this open source got to be managed by the wrong person and they have seen that the crypto wallet is using their code as well so they added a small line saying if this is used in a crypto wallet then take the uh, crypto key and send this to us as well now the crypto uh, wallet themselves use this repository they were not aware that this is happening and somebody leaked out of their crypto wallet over 70 million dollars so there are amazing ways to think about the software supply chain. It is just one of them. And everyone in the in the um, in the, the, the regular newspaper in this field can actually see this on a weekly basis, an article saying there is a new method, there is a new attack, 
uh, new damages happening. And this is an ongoing uh, thing right now. That's an awesome example. And um, how, how, how does an organization, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming, but, but you tell me if I'm wrong, does Ox Security or other tools similar to yours um, like identify these uh, typo squatting attacks? Uh, yeah, so what we are doing is actually, uh, if we're going back to the Oscar framework, so mm -hmm. the Oscar framework, typo squatting is just one attack out of 100. So we're trying to build a map and saying, are you susceptible to typo squatting? If so, what are the controls that we can add to your environment to make sure that you will not be susceptible to this? And just like typo squatting, when you've got other controls, we're making sure that you will not be susceptible to this. And we're doing this with amazing partners um, and vendors, other vendors that we're working with across the board over the entire AppSec uh, that they've been doing amazing work for years. And some of it we've been doing ourselves since uh, there are no other vendors that are trying to address uh, each one of the techniques that uh, have been found out there. So security for us is, is not a game that we play alone. Uh, in most organizations, large organizations that we work with, uh, we found ourselves working with at least three or four different other vendors and together we, we are creating the defense wall uh, against the software supply chain attacks. Awesome. Hey, in, in, in that specific case, though, uh, when, is there a way, I mean, I, I'm just wondering about what the physical mechanism, how it actually works. Is it like running any domains that are in the code against you know known malicious sites is it looking for derivatives of the actual original domain is it like almost like a like a, a spell spell checker type of situation i mean how is it because you know you could have thousands of different domains and how, how are you um, checking to see whether these are are approved or appropriate or not oh that, that's actually a very simple uh example um so imagine that um, one of the developers wants to use um, a package, let's call it serverless. And somebody uh, by mistake wrote it with a simple typo. Yep. So when we see the right way that it is written, let's say with the typo, we're going and checking what is this repository, when it was it registered, is there a similar name that is trying to do something that is similar how many downloads does it have? And actually try to create some kind of a profile for the uh, reputation of this uh, specific uh, package. But there are ways to do that, but every kind of attack has a different signature. So for example, if you expose your secrets outside, that would be a different approach. If you've got logical bugs in your code, uh, that's another approach. If you don't do code sanitation or you've got your CICD exposed to the internet with a public uh, password that uh, some student already left behind a few years behind, that's also a different project. So I, I would probably say that for every domain, there is a different um, way to address and create controls. Uh, type of scoring is simply very easy to understand. Uh, but there are way more complicated uh, attack vectors. And as we see that the uh, attackers get more complicated and more complex in the way that they mix together uh, techniques, it means that you're going to protect from different techniques at the same time. And you need to understand how can you make sure that you focus on the right things so you can actually react uh, and create the right controls uh, at the right time. 
Yep, that, that's again help helping you to prioritize, and make the right decisions. Hey, well, hey, I, uh, Nissan, enjoyed this conversation. I have learned a lot. I claim no expertise when it comes to you know software supply chain, but I'm I'm making baby steps here. So this has been uh, very helpful. Um, any any information or news that you'd like to share about Ox Security? Uh, any upcoming events or anything like that that you'd you'd want to uh, announce? Uh, first of all, come meet us at the RSA and at Signet uh, over the coming weeks. Uh, we're always hiring, so uh, if somebody uh, is interested in this field and software supply chain security is a passion, uh, please visit ox.security, a website, and leave us a note. And Mark, I must say that uh, for a first time in this uh, software supply chain, you've asked a really, really good question, so big kudos. Oh, I think you're being very, very kind, but uh, thank you. I, like I said, I enjoyed it and learned a lot. So I'd like to wish you and the, uh, the rest of your team an amazing 2023. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.